thank you for uh, being here. Um, the lesson that I'm going to share with you today, actually the message is called Lessons from the Eagle. And uh, there's a little story behind that, and I'll get to that here very shortly. I'm certain that uh, most everyone here, if you were asked what the national bird of the United States is, you would answer, bald eagle. Benjamin Franklin was pushing for another regal bird to be our national symbol. How many of you know who the runner-up was? The turkey. My. Uh, believe it or not, old Ben was a pretty smart guy, but I, I, I think that the founding fathers got it right. The image of a soaring eagle brings forth images of strength and beauty, authority and freedom. Sayings about eagles have become part of our culture with cliches such as, the eagle flies on Friday, which means I get paid. Or how about, he never misses a thing, he's got eyes of an eagle. We've heard those before. But perhaps, more importantly, when the Bible mentions eagles, we should stop, study the imagery, and meditate on how our lives should reflect the attributes and the character demonstrated by one of God's most spectacular creations, the eagle. Nearly 30 years ago, I attended a Christian power lunch, and I heard a very motivating message by a guest speaker to compare the majestic eagle to the Christian life. To my surprise, a few years later, I stumbled on a short devotional book titled The Eagle Christian. It was written by a gentleman named Kenneth Price. And I immediately knew from where that guest speaker drew his inspiration. I bought a copy of it. It's a very fun read. This morning, I hope to keep you awake by drawing from my recollection of the message from Mr. Price's devotional, as well as some of my own additional research and comments. You ready to begin? As I mentioned, I've titled this morning's message, Lessons from the Eagle. So first of all, let's start with a few basics. I want to throw the word faith out there to start with. First and foremost, our faith is a gift from God. I cannot muster enough saving faith. The Bible even defines it for us in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I like to always look at other translations. Uh, one of them is the J.B. Phillips paraphrase translation that was very popular back in the 50s and 60s. Reading the same passage, it says, Now faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of things we cannot see. Hmm. Although it's a very poor metaphor, Bear with me for a moment and allow me to pursue this thing we call faith. Presume, just for a moment, that faith is something like a muscle. 
For some of us, it might be the weakest muscle in our body. We want to be fit. We want to be strong. We don't want to go into hiding every time somebody starts snapping pictures. Yet, here we still sit. Diet and exercise, I'll begin tomorrow. Famous last words. We want to be fit Christians, yet we don't exercise our faith or feed upon the Word of God. Exercising your faith should not stop after accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is just the beginning. God has designed us to grow in faith, to soar like an eagle, not to wallow in the mud like a hippopotamus. I thought about saying pig, but it's more fun to say hippopotamus. Say it with me, hippopotamus. Isn't that fun? Speaking of wallowing, how about them Israelites? They weren't exactly paragons of faith and virtue, were they? They would trust a little while and then fall back into their old habits of doubt and sin. Like a broken record. They would still be in Egypt today if God hadn't remained faithful and paved their way. Listen to how God describes his faithfulness to his children. In Exodus 19.4, You yourselves, that's the Israelites, have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Note, it was God who carried the Israelites on eagles' wings. Deuteronomy 32, 10, and 11 says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren, howling waste, He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up her nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Note again, it was God who, like an eagle, shielded and cared for the Israelites, and it was he who later caught and carried them when they fell. And finally, Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Final note is, it's God who restores us who wait upon him. It's God who... uh, gives the strength and ability to soar above human frailties. And I think that is how God wants to partner with us today, through our faith and trust in him. As we wait upon him, he will give us the strength and the means to walk, dare I say soar, in accordance with his will. No other bird flies like an eagle. Eagles were made to soar. They were not created to be earthbound. If an eagle isn't soaring, it's going against its nature. 
Likewise, once Jesus enters a person's life, Christ's new nature should cause that person to soar spiritually, to be a cut above, to be set apart, different than the rest. You see, the flesh tries to keep us earthbound. As you've heard Mark preach repeatedly from this pulpit, we have been saved for good works, not by them. Like the old saying goes, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a sobering thought. We are not to hang back, but rather we are to rise up to the rare air to make a difference, all while bringing glory to our Lord and Savior. If you're hanging back, Stop it. You are a new creation. Do what you were created to do. Well, now that I've finished my introduction, let's get down to business. There are three things that can keep an eagle from soaring. Three things that can keep you from experiencing God's ultimate best for you. Number one, fear of leaving the nest. When a baby eagle is first hatched, the eaglet finds itself surrounded by a warm and soft, downy surface inside the nest. Everything the eaglet needs is in that nest. All of its food is brought in. The eaglet is warm and comfortable and cozy. This is what the eaglet's entire life up to this point is, and it's all he knows and all he needs and all he wants. But the day comes when the eaglet must learn to fly. I found a quote by Hannah Wattall Smith, and uh, it describes this process. I'd like to share it with you. The mother eagle teaches her young ones, her little ones rather, to fly by making their nest so uncomfortable that they are forced to leave it and commit themselves to the unknown world of air outside. And just so does our God to us. He stirs up our comfortable nest, he pushes us over the edge of them, and we are forced to use our wings to save ourselves from fatal falling. Read your trials in this light and see if you cannot begin to get a glimpse of their meaning. Your wings are being developed. I don't know how many of you are familiar with James Vernon McGee. He's an old-time radio preacher. I used to listen to him a lot. I had to look up to see what he had to say about this. J. Vernon says, at the time when the little eaglets ought to be spreading their wings, they are perfectly willing to stay in the nest and let mama and papa bring them food all day long. Then to take care of them at night. The time comes when the mother eagle pushes the little ones off the cliff and they have to stretch those wings. 
But suppose a little eaglet does not do very well. That mother, with those tremendous wings of hers, comes right up to under the eaglet and catches him on her wings. Then she lifts him back up to the rock and gives him a few more worms to eat for the next few days. Then she tries him out again. This is the way God watches over those who are his own. God pushes us out of the nest sometimes, not because he doesn't love us, but because he wants us to learn to fly. He wants us to learn to live for him. It's our tendency not to get out of our comfort zone. We tend to live our lives, me included. I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to me too. We tend to live our lives as if we don't need God, a sort of I got this mentality. Day by day, we live in our boring, take no risk comfort zone. But do you know when life becomes exciting? It's when we step out on faith, out of our comfortable nest and off that cliff. That's when you find out not how good you are, but how you discover how great God is. Over 20 years ago, Norma and I, along with several other families, stepped off the cliff. I personally was nervous and afraid of the what-ifs. But at the same time, there was that feeling of exhilaration, a rush of adrenaline, like when you know you are trusting God to lead and guide you. You see, that's when Crossroad, this church, was formed. Since that day, hundreds of individuals have crossed through these doors. We've seen dozens come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, baptisms, and God's healing hand at work. Many have moved on to other parts of the country and have just become instrumental in the congregations they now serve. Now, just in the past few years, God has led many of you to Crossroad, who we have had the opportunity to know and love. What if we had played it safe? I suspect that nearly everyone in attendance here and listening online this morning has something in your life that you know God wants you to do, but you resist doing it. You say to yourself, I can't do that. There's no way. I'm not that good. I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. That's what's called walking by sight. If I was to mention baby walkers, how many of you would know what I'm talking about? You know, it's those contraptions that give a baby mobility before they're even able to walk. Their legs fit through the seat, and after a few minutes, they're scooting around the room. But, next comes the big wheel. How many of y'all had a big wheel? 
How many of you thought it was the greatest thing until you first saw a tricycle? Oh, man. And then you saw the big kids go by on two wheels. You say, I want to do that. The first time you tried, you tumped over and skinned your knee. This is not in my notes, but if you're not from the South, you don't know what tump is. <laughs> tump means you're going in, in a direction and you just go, boop, <laughs> right? You tump over. The second time, or the first time you skin your knee, the first time you skin your knee, the second time it's your elbow you skin. And then you say, I think I'd rather ride my tricycle. It's all I need. It's safer. But your dad or your brother or a friend encouraged you to keep trying. Before you knew it, you were cruising along on two wheels saying, I don't need no trike. Look at me go. See, you can stay in your nest, but there will come a time when every one of us has to climb out of that nest and step off the cliff in faith knowing Jesus Christ will bear you up. An eagle will never soar until it's forced from the comfort and security of its nest and it experiences going off the cliff. Perhaps some of us need to be forced out of our nest. I certainly feel like it right now today, I can tell you that. I promise you that once you feel the wind under your wings, though, you will never walk by sight again. That's when you finally find out how great God is. But there's a second thing that will keep an eagle from soaring. Improper imprinting or mistaken identity. Self-identity, it's a crisis that even we Christians suffer from. In short, we do not see ourselves as God sees us. And shamefully, we often identify ourselves with the person we used to be. How many of you are familiar with the term imprinting? A few. In short, it can be defined as a newborn creature bonding to the type of animal it meets at birth. There have been documented cases where the first thing a newly hatched duckling saw was a farm dog and a bond was forged. The duckling had an identity crisis and tried to imitate the dog. Can't you just see that duckling nipping at tires of passing cars and chasing cats around the barnyard? You've all seen the little sign that says it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. Just imagine what would happen if an eagle egg were to be hatched by a turkey. Upon hatching, the first thing the eaglet would see would be the turkey hen. And the, there the imprinting begins. Not knowing any better, the eaglet begins doing what turkeys do, never to reach its full potential. 
He might flop around on the ground or land on a low-hanging branch, peck at corn, but he'll never soar. Beloved, pardon again the mixed metaphor, but if you're a Christian, especially a new Christian, don't hang around with turkeys. You'll never reach your full potential. You'll never soar. You'll never know what God can do with you and through you. That's why church attendance, discipleship, Christian fellowship are so important. If you don't hang around with other believers, your self-identity will be formed by negative thinking, critical attitudes, and worldly aspirations. Believe it or not, there are those people in your life that will at best hinder you or worse, prevent you from doing great things for God. Your self-identity must be Christ-centered. You're never going to soar spiritually if you allow others in your life to hold you back. An eagle soars because he lives up to his nature the way God created him to be. Number three, an eagle will never soar because of the enemy. Any guess as to the eagle's greatest enemy? If you said man, you would be correct. But how about the eagle's second greatest enemy? Silence. That would be the snake, the serpent. There are times when the mother eagle must be away from the nest. And that is when the eaglet is most vulnerable. Whether newly hatched or still in the egg, the snake slithers up through the nest and either swallows the egg or kills the baby eaglet. From a spiritual standpoint, who is your greatest enemy? It's the serpent, the thief, Satan himself. Satan already knows that he's been defeated at the cross. But until he is finally thrown into the lake of fire, his sole purpose is to stand against everyone and everything that God has created. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life have it to the full. And Romans 8.38 says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Today, we are in danger of losing an entire generation to the enemy. Either we take a stand as conquerors through him, Christ who loved us, or we are aiding and abetting the enemy. There's no middle ground. A baby eaglet will never soar if the serpent gets to him first. Proverbs 22.6 exhorts us to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
So to recap so far, there are three things that will keep an eagle from soaring. I'll kind of paraphrase these. If he just stays in the nest, if others prevent him from realizing his true nature and potential, or if the enemy gets to him first. But just as there's three things that will keep an eagle from soaring, there are three things that enable an eagle to soar. Number one, storms. Most animals by nature have the ability to sense the coming of a storm. And they will instinctively search for shelter. Not the eagle. Quoting from Karen Kingsbury, he, that is the eagle, embraces the storm waiting on the rock for the right thermal current, and then using that to carry him higher. While other birds are taking cover, the eagle is soaring. An eagle would never fight against the storms of life. Kenneth Price, the author of the book I referenced to you, says, using the strong winds that accompany the storm, that he begins to spiral round and round, each time going higher and higher until at last he sees the sunlight beams around him and he looks down only to see the storm clouds pouring their rain on everyone but him. The eagle does not escape the storm. He simply allows it to lift him higher. The eagle doesn't fear the storm, nor can he stop it. He simply rises above it. But what about the baby eaglets that are still unable to soar above the storm? Answer. The mother eagle stays behind and covers her nest with the same wings that would be holding her aloft above the storm clouds. Christian, there is an application here. You will face storms and trials in this life. We must trust Christ to either lift us above the storm or to cover us with his grace. Psalm 94, or excuse me, Psalm 91, 4 says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Sometimes it takes a storm in our life to cause us to listen. Other times we're being prepared for something greater that God has in store for us. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The second thing that can enable an eagle to soar is flying solo. The eagle can soar because it's not bound by a flock. You don't see geese or ducks or flamingos or blackbirds or crows or grackles or hippopotamuses flying in rare air. When a storm comes, they seek shelter. Shelter. 
As humans, we have a tendency to hang around in flocks, but we call them groups. Dr. Tony Evans calls them holy huddles. We gather in our committees and we make plans and design plays. Dr. Evans says you can design incredible plays in the huddle, but the proof is in the pudding whether or not you can execute the play on the field. This morning we have to ask ourselves, are we more committed to the holy huddle than to the execution of the play? You'll never win a gold medal by being average. Don't be afraid to stand out. But make sure that you're doing so with the mind of Christ. Don't be afraid to step up when you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you. Don't be afraid to express your faith. Don't be afraid to rise above the humdrum and the mediocre and the common. Expressing our faith means that we're willing to step off the cliff, step away from the flock, and say, Dear Father, set me apart. Use this imperfect vessel for your glory. I want to soar for your glory where the air is rare. If you will, picture in your mind a massive flowing river. The surface appears calm, but below is an undercurrent that's swiftly pulling everything under the surface toward a destructive waterfall where the water hurls downward hundreds of feet, dashing everything against the ragged rocks below. Now picture everyone in the world, including us, headed downstream toward destruction and not even realizing it. When we accepted Christ, we made a commitment to repent of our sins and to begin a new walk with him. The literal meaning of the word repent means to turn around and go the opposite direction. If you trusted Christ and made that commitment, I, I believe you're saved from sin's destruction. But it's too easy to go with the flow. You, still, you may be saved from the rocks below, but as a committed believer in the body of Christ, we should all decide that not only am I turning it around, I'm going to swim upstream. Now, traveling upstream requires the courage and commitment that isn't present in these earthly vessels. Traveling upstream requires that I step out in faith, that I take on new and different responsibilities, and that I believe that God will be there to bear me up and not let me fall. There's a river full of people drifting toward eternal destruction. Deciding to soar like an eagle and to go where the air is rare is to say, not only am I turning it around, I'm swimming upstream, and I'm going to take as many people with me as I possibly can. Swimming upstream takes many forms. Evangelism, ministering, teaching, intercessory prayer. That's just to name a few. Third and finally, the third item that, or the third thing that can 
cause an eagle and enable an eagle to soar is his eye. The eagle is a migratory bird. And according to the research conducted by Kenneth Price, the author of this book again, let me share with you what he says. Inside the eagle's eyes are a series of tissues that are folded into pleats, which are called pectins. Each pleat contains a fine network of lymph tubes. The lymph fluid in each of these tubes is an electrolyte. That means it's affected by the magnetic pull and operates as a conductor of electricity. When the eagle is young and the eyes are not fully developed, these tubes are pliable. They are affected by the magnetic pull of the North Pole, very similar to a compass. The pectins adjust themselves to the lines of magnetic intensity from the North Pole in relation to their place of birth. As the eaglet matures, these pectins become more rigid, and by the time the eaglet reaches maturity, they are permanently set. As long as the eagle is away from its nesting ground, there is a sense of imbalance. These pectins act as a built-in gyroscope. There is a constant pressure in the eagle's eyes which causes, to some extent, pain during this time of migration. However, the pain subsides as the eagle returns to its nesting ground. And during times of migration, the eagle's built-in gyroscope enables him to find its way home even from thousands of miles away. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who draws us and guides us. When we stray, there's an imbalance that comes over our lives. Say that again. When we stray, there's an imbalance that comes over our lives that can only be relieved by the returning of our hearts to our Heavenly Father. But that's not all. Again, quoting from Mr. Price, the eagle's eyes are covered with two sets of eyelids. The first set of eyelids is used when in flight or for observation from the nest. But God gave the eagle an extra set of eyelids that encases and encloses and protects the eye while still permitting the eagle to see. But it's the second eyelid that sets it apart from others. Because of the second eyelid, the eagle is able to navigate using the sun as its compass. When soaring high above the clouds, when everything on earth is obscured by cloud cover, the eagle always knows where he is because he never lets the sun out of his sight. As Christians, we will all experience spiritual cloud cover from time to time. And it leaves us with a spiritual sense of imbalance. But praise God, all His promises are yes and amen. The Holy Spirit is always faithful to restore our bearings if we but keep our eyes focused on Jesus. The Son, S-O-N, of righteousness. So if you're going to soar, the way you're going to soar is to keep your eyes on Jesus 
Everyone here experiences problems, struggles, tough times, secret hurts. At times, there doesn't seem to be enough answers to address all of our questions. But the bottom line answer is that Jesus has the answer. And you can know and embrace the answer if you keep your eyes focused and fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, Christ Jesus. I'd like to close by reading a passage from Hebrews 10, 22 through 23. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we possess and profess. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. This really wasn't a salvation-themed sermon, but I hope that you were challenged in one way or another. That doesn't mean that if God hasn't touched your heart, we wouldn't like you to come forward and and share your testimony with us that you've decided to uh, trust in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior and maybe even have an opportunity to baptize you. But there's other reasons you might want to come forward. You just have a prayer need that's heavy on your heart. You may want to come forward and share that need with the congregation. And the last thing that I was thinking of is maybe you feel there's an imbalance in your life. You're flying, but you're not above the clouds. You profess Jesus as the Son of God, but you're not seeing the Son. You're not allowing the Son to to guide your path, to guide your flight, to be your bearing. If any of those are true, or just come on forward, and as uh, Everett is going to play an invitation song.